0: Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Prezi, and I'm here as usual with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. How are you feeling?
1: Hey, Danny. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. I'm excited to talk about some of the stories today. Um, we're going to be talking about February's upcoming New York Fashion Week, which just reminded me that I think we started the Week in Review podcast talking about September Fashion Week from last year. So this is the the, we've been doing it for an entire season.
1: And we'll probably be talking about it every week from now until New York Fashion Week and talking about the drops along the way because, man, it's been exciting.
0: It's definitely been exciting. It always seems like so chaotic. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. We're going to talk about Kenzo's first show with their new creative director or artistic director, I should say, Nigo, um, which was on Sunday. And then finally, we'll talk about a fun story of Fashion Nova being the first company ever to get fined by the FTC for hiding negative reviews on their Site, um, which was very fascinating. I, I just a lot about that world of like e-commerce reviews that's very opaque. But to start, we'll, we'll talk about New York Fashion Week. Um, I love New York Fashion Week, and Jill, I know you do too. We've talked about it on the podcast before. But like everything, being very disrupted by Omicron, just like last year's was disrupted by Delta, and the and the one before, like the ones before that were disrupted by the original COVID variant. So. Seems like it's just gonna be a cycle, but there's been several cancellations already. Um, Tom Ford and Kate Spade are both notable ones. Some brands are either not doing a show at all or they're moving them till later in the year. Uh, It just seems like IMG and, and the people who organize these things can't catch a break. Like every time it's coming up and we feel like this would be the one where everyone comes back and the shows are all normal and fun like they used to be. And then something comes up again. So w- what have you seen? Do you feel like it's just, you know, the same story as September and February before that?
1: You're right. Yeah. And it's become a trend every season. So it's like, do you invest in an attempt to have a show when it's so, so risky. Like we typically hold a fashion leader's dinner during fashion week. We're not even going to attempt it this season because I I mean, what's the point? It'll probably who will come like people. Anyway, it, it's so risky. So um, some big dogs have dropped out, which to me, you know says a lot in terms of maybe people coming from far and wide to attend the week maybe they'll skip it um I attended Tom Brown last season for the first time I think I talked about how it was an extravaganza like it's definitely yes. a production and it's um it was really the most spectacular show I've ever been to um but yes Tom Brown just canceled um this week in favor of showing in April around the Met Gala um which I I don't know about the timing, if that makes sense for d- brands, but it does make sense um, when to kind of tap into a moment when all eyes are on fashion.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, it's it's so much work and it's so expensive. And to put a, a lot of effort into planning something just for it to maybe be canceled at the last minute, like is I, I can see why a lot of brands are like, you know, well, it's not even worth the headache. Um, like you're saying with the leaders dinner, that's I think was our philosophy is like, why even put in all the 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 work into planning something that might not even go off. So I I do think that this uh, time is a little weird though, because it's not quite the peak of Omicron. Like, obviously I don't want to say like Omicron's over or whatever, because it's clearly not. And like a lot of people are still getting sick, but it's not quite like December, you know, like mid December when everyone in the world had it. And it was, you know, really, it's not, it's not quite there. So I feel like some brands are maybe a little on the fence. Like even even Tom Ford canceling, which is, like you said, a pretty big deal. But like not everyone has canceled the way they did in like 2020 or something where it just, you know, nobody was doing anything.
1: The reasons are changing, which is interesting because it's typically like this is a safety precaution. Um, That's what all of the brands were saying. This time, um, Tom Brown did point to Omicron obstacles. Tom Ford said, um, like you've written about, factories in Italy are shut down. We we have COVID cases on staff. We're not able to pull this off. We're going to turn around some imagery a little bit later in the year. Um, so I feel like um, we're going to hear that more and more, you know, as this thing sweeps the nation and everybody just is kind of resolved that they're going to get it <laughs> at some point and um, it's happening. Um, so I, yeah, that could be an, a, a trend again um, with a cause of folks dropping out. Tom Brown, he is the chairman of the CFDA, which <laughs> is putting on Fashion Week, like a big um, a big part of that. So that was a big deal. It's almost, I mean, I love Tom Ford, but do you say, I'm not going to show, but everybody come show. <laughs> Maybe you do. I guess he is.
0: Yeah, and I know that uh, from from talking to people on like IMG and CFDA in the past, I know that a lot of brands, I don't know if this was the case before COVID, but definitely since COVID, a lot of brands really wait till like super last minute to confirm. I remember talking to somebody at IMG last year and it was like two or three weeks before the show. And he was like, a lot of these brands don't even, like haven't even told us if they're actually gonna be there or not. So I think they really kind of leave it up in the air until the last second, which just sounds so stressful and chaotic. And I'm comparing Illinois. it a little bit to September um, of last year, which mostly was was a lot more normal than, than other post-COVID, um, or I should say during COVID, uh, fashion weeks. But it definitely, even that had some last-minute kind of changes. I remember talking about the Imitation of Christ show, which... Everyone filed indoors and was waiting. And then there was an announcement that was like, "Uh, actually, we're doing it outdoors first. So then everyone had to file back out. So again, I don't know how like thoroughly well planned out these things usually are pre-COVID, but it seems like since COVID that there's a lot of chaos, a lot of waiting till the last second, and playing it by ear and hoping that they can do what they plan to do and then having to shift last second.
1: Yeah. And for those that are doing, want to do an IRL show, um, it's really, I, I guess, making a case for, the organized New York Fashion Week playing into the the set calendar just because IMG, we know, is doing, um, they're making it really turnkey for designers, making it very affordable um, is what we're hearing. So it's like, are you going to go rogue and invest in your own venue and your own production, which is very costly and very risky um, when you can come show at Spring Studios or wherever the venues are this year um, and do it really easily. Um, And it seems like, you know, Either they'll cancel the whole event, or you'll just have an opportunity to show your clothes, maybe to some, some <laughs> photographers. If, if the worst, the worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and like you mentioned, that the the causes for canceling are changing. I also think the the alternatives are um, there, there's a little bit more alternative options for brands now, like you said, showing at Spring Studio, but also just like doing it later than than New York Fashion Week, like having something in April. Um, or I, I think Kate Spade's reasoning that they gave um in an email to me was like we want to be more community focused and following the community. And so we're gonna like invite people in later in the year. So you know, and I feel like the the way it's worded has changed a little bit. Um, they don't use the word cancel at all. They, I think maybe they say postpone, but it's more like we're shifting our show either in format or in time frame to something else. So, um, This was written by PR. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's true. But speaking of runway stuff, let's talk about Kenzo. Um, I I am a big fan of Kenzo. Um, the first like big designers I ever interviewed as a fashion journalist were Humberto uh, Leon and, and Carol Lim for Kenzo um, back when they were working there. But uh, at Paris Fashion Week on Sunday, um, Nigo, who you would know as the founder of A Bathing Ape, he's their new artistic director and he showed his first collection for Kenzo. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. He, He brought back the like tiger design that Humberto Leon and Carol Lim had sort of originated. It was not overly like street wary i would say it definitely still felt very kenzo-y like he he didn't totally transform the line or anything but kenzo to me has always felt a little bit hipper a little edgier than some other lvmh brands it's younger and like i don't know it's it's i feel like it's had cool more like younger designers in charge longer than some other big luxury brands like compared to leon and carolim took over in 2011 or something. So I feel like it's been a little bit ahead of the game on like mixing that high and low sort of looks. Yeah. W- uh, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I was inspired, like some of the the styling pairings, how things were like kind of an, I don't know, like a vest, little apron. It, it, definitely Japanese inspiration over the blazer. Anyway, it was so cool. And I, I read about it before I saw the photos that, and um, he was describing um, the look or his take as impractical workwear. And Practical, I love that. like we keep talking about workwear as, uh, like to me, it, it's ingrained in my head at this point in time as being like work from home sweats versus a tailored um blazer but that is not what he meant um looking mm-hmm. at the photos and digging deeper he was talking about more workwear like Carhartt with like a bold right. print um which I love that you know that I love Dave's in New York <laughs> um and and that was really reflected by the audience um Kanye he wore um Red Wing boots and um his his chickie Julia Fox wore um Carhartt pants um so it was kind of like that was kind of impractical workwear as well, like the way that they styled it. And it's just a cool look. Um, so anyway, loved it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and there's some interesting resonance between Takata Kenzo, the original designer, and Nigo. They both studied at the same fashion school in Japan. Um, Nigo was born the same year that um, Takata Kenzo opened his first Kenzo store. They're, they're obviously both from Japan. There's a, a lot of resonance between the two. Um, although I wouldn't say that his work at Bathing Ape was to me seemed like super inspired by Kenzo, like other than just in a general sense of, you know, merging Japanese and, and European styles. Like I feel like they're a little different. Um, but I mean the first collection to me was like seamless. I, I thought it was really cool. And there it was it has some interesting you know, meta elements too, in that it was like live streamed on Hypebeast, like Pusha T and Pharrell promoted it beforehand. So it definitely was tapping into some of the more street kind of worlds as well, even if the clothes themselves weren't overly outside of the Kenzo norm. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like you said, the clothes were not a spectacle, but it was still a spectacle. So like like we said, the celebrities were there, um, including like Pharrell and ah, uh, who else? Uh, the definitely uh, Kanye but some, there was a good crowd. Um, but also um, he played, Nego apparently has an album coming out. We were talking about the um, many talents of today's creative directors. So his new song, he had a new song playing as a soundtrack. And also I'm not cool enough to say Pusha T, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Pusha T released a song that played as the soundtrack as well. And apparently that got more buzz or more, um, I don't know if it was like views or plays or whatever than than the Kenzo show itself. But um, it definitely was kind of a launch pad for a lot of buzz. Um, whatever this media impact value that is that we like to reference, I'm sure it was very, very high.
0: I'm sure it was too. Uh, and again, like, like you said, we've talked about this, but the Having a a creative director or artistic director as the head of your brand that also has a personal brand and people are a fan of them specifically, and they also have friends in, you know, in high places or friends with Kanye and friends with Pusha T and stuff, that's so valuable to a brand now, I think. And and they probably are very happy to hear, um, you know, see an Instagram video from Pharrell to Nego being like, congratulations on your first collection. You know, that I I doubt that was paid for. Like, obviously, I think those two are just friends. So, um, but the brand and LVMH, I'm sure, is very happy to see stuff like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. And you, you mentioned LVMH. It's definitely, um, I would say this was a chance for him to, I guess, further prove himself. Nego had a collection, a capsule, I think, um, with Virgil Abloh in 2020 um, that proved successful. So um, definitely, you know, somebody to watch as LVMH kind of shake th- shakes things up and gives um, creative directors more opportunity and, and grows within the the umbrella within the conglomerate also worth noting that you know Paris shows <laughs> for the most part shows go on here we're seeing it with with Couture week um and i think Armani was part of that and dropped out but i just heard that um side side events and dinners and such didn't happen but for the most part the shows did which is the interesting. shows themselves
0: happened yeah yeah that's interesting i, I especially because Paris Fashion Week and, and the other weeks that are earlier than New York Fashion Week are closer to the, the Omicron peak that I'm talking about. And New York Fashion Week has the benefit of being a little later. But at the same time, I feel like there's more cancellations that I'd have heard of anyway. So yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting to see how the different weeks and, and months respond in, in different markets.
1: Definitely. And so glad they did. Check out Valentino. It's amazing.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about our last story, which is Fashion Nova. Um, So this is interesting because I think this actually technically happened in 2019, but the fine from the FTC is only happening right now. So Fashion Nova is, is the first company ever to be fined by the FTC for blocking bad reviews. I think others have been fined for posting fake reviews like Sunday Riley, I believe. But this is the first company that's been find for blocking bad reviews specifically they um did not publish
1: like hundreds
0: of thousands of reviews that were under four stars so they were only publishing four and five star reviews which obviously you can't do
1: the argument was weak we can say that <laughs> did you read it
0: the argument was insanely weak so fashion Nova. um Well, so two things. First of all, they they agreed to pay the, like, settle the fine. They're just paying it. They're not challenging it or anything. And then they were like, I, I think they said, I have the quote here, we were highly confident that we would have won in court and only agreed to settle the case to avoid the distraction and legal fees that we would incur in litigation, which is very funny to me, like... That, that's like the equivalent of like, you can't fire me, I quit or something. You know, it's like, you can't, <laughs> yes. fi- yeah, you can't beat me in court because I'm already just agreeing to pay the fine. But I would have won if we did it. If we got into it, I would have won.
1: Yeah. You know, I always, my theory is when people explain too much, they're probably lying. There was a whole story. So apparently, <laughs> um, the, the non four and five star reviews, they, they had those Four and five set to auto-publish. Anything below that, they chose a setting at some point in time where they could review the other um, reviews um, for, like, I don't know, curse words and and horrible... Moderation. Exactly. And so... They were short-staffed because they were growing so fast, and they didn't have the resources. They they failed to make the to review those things. And ah, anyway, so it was, was all the ridiculous. review
0: company's fault, like the software provider is, is what they're saying. Which it's and it's so funny that it's like, oh well, the three stars and below we have to review for foul language and stuff. Four and five stars though, you can say like any profanity you want as long as the review is good, and the fine is also not a lot like at all. It's like four million dollars, I think, which it would be a lot for me, but for Fashion Nova, which makes like hundreds of million dollars a quarter, uh, is probably not, you know, the biggest hit, but it's really more of just, I think, a warning from the FTC to to other companies. I'm pretty sure they sent um letters to like I think ten other companies I saw that the New York okay. Times reported, although I don't know if those companies were named just basically telling them to watch out and to not do this. And I think it's a lot of precedent setting, you know, more than it is like an actual punishment to Fashion Nova specifically.
1: I so, so agree. And they got flack, the FTC, it was back in 2018 with Sunday Riley. They were guilty of um, telling their, their employees to go on a VPN so it wasn't trackable, traceable to the company um, and go on Sephora.com, make great reviews, create fake accounts, make great reviews. Um, I guess, dislike the negative reviews. So they got pushed back, pushed down on the, on the page. Um, and yes, they only literally, all they had to do was say, they're going to stop. They didn't get a fine. They didn't get their really a wrist slap other than, uh, bad press um so yeah there was bad they got flack um so this is like I agree this is just an example I mean what better company to make a, an example of it's like um fashion nova is like a couple years ago Shein.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: such a such a culprit of all things bad
0: yeah absolutely and also like this the whole the whole world of like reviews on an actual brand site like seems so opaque and like not trustworthy to me because I'm like, this is your site. Like, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that, that a company is blocking the bad reviews. I'm sure many others do as well. I like never look at those because they seem so, I don't know. They seem sketchy to me, like no matter who the company is. And I'm sure there's some that are legitimate or whatever, but like, to me, I'm like, why would I trust a review on the site of the place where I'm going to buy this stuff from? So I only look at the reviews really on like a, a super third-party kind of marketplace. Um, Although, like you said, with Sunday Riley, even that can be gamed. Um, So who knows?
1: I'm with you. I almost like, I naively would just, if I only saw positive reviews on a brand site, would be like, oh, of course they're featuring these. They're, They're not featuring the others. And I as a consumer, was like, that's okay. Um, but I know if FTC has come out with new guidance as a result of this Fashion Nova scandal, which I have not yet dug into. Um, so we'll see what that's all about. Um, and there are also companies that are sprouting up to combat fake reviews online, um, as all shopping moves online, obviously. Um, there's a lot that, that can be said about influencer reviews and getting paid to to promote something. Um, I know that a company in December called The Desire Company, they raised a bunch of money, um, $8 million. No, 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 no. Yeah. For a total of $14 million. And their thing is they had this network of like honest reviewers, thousands um, that are not influencers and they're not doing that. I guess, dated, um, typical thing that everybody just, everybody just assumes that um, you're getting paid to post. I don't know. We all know what happens there.
0: Yeah, I don't really listen to or, or read a lot of reviews for for clothes other than just, you know, objective things like durability or construction and things like that. Because when it comes to style, like, you know, it's so subjective. And it's similar to that story I read a little while ago about the wire cutter getting into fashion and and style coverage is that it's really hard to be objective about those things and again the the source of the reviews is also uh kind of sketchy sometimes so anyway i think we're on the same page there Jill. i think we should stop there thank you so much jill for being here for another week and i will see you next week
1: talk soon thanks danny